You're listening to Fixing Fundraising. Joining the self-proclaimed Agni Uncles of the charity sector is a wonderful guest and their biggest pet peeve. Here are your hosts, Tom Dufresne and Andy Kim. Hello and welcome to Fixing Fundraising. It's our first international episode. And we have a jingle that Andy specially made. You are welcome. <laughs> I'm joined, as always, by my host, Right, with my host, Andy King, who is right here next to me. And it's uh, today I've learned how to add international dialing codes to WhatsApp to call our two Every friends day, in Canada. Day. <laughs> um, so joining us on the line are John and Jen from uh, Agents of Good. Uh, John, fire away with a little introduction of, of who you guys are. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for that. In a nutshell, Jen and I are two uh, passionate storytellers. Uh, we both come from uh, the agency called Stephen Thomas, where we both cut our teeth, teeth as uh, fundraisers and creatives uh, and account people. And um, about 10 years ago, Jen and I joined forces to join the Start Agents of Good, uh, which we've been running for a decade now, working with organizations of all different shapes and sizes, on annual programs, on coaching, uh, consulting, whatever they need from us. We're, we're all about talking about donors and talking to donors and letting them talk to us too at the same time. Incredible. That's awesome. I was having a flick through your blog um, the other day and I was uh, something caught my eye that was all about Comic Sans and it made me change a couple of my slides. <laughs> so or, or, already, already you're providing and it's, it's a new relationship and you've given me so much already. So thank you. Thank you. Wicked. We, we live to serve. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys are here to, today to talk to us about the disconnect between what we think we're doing with donor love and what donors are actually receiving, which is kind of like the second date drunk text at 2am asking, <laughs> are you up, right? <laughs> awesome. Do you want to tell us a bit more about why you picked that issue and, and how you kind of see it playing out in the world? Yeah, I think, um, you know, when John and I were chatting after we first heard from you, lovely gentleman asking us to, to be on this blog or on this podcast, the conversation that we had is really a conversation that we have around here at the Agents of Good a lot, which is, you know, we attend fundraising conferences, we read different um, blogs and listen to different podcasts, we are up to date on the latest research, as most plugged in, passionate, curious fundraisers are. Um, and I think, for the most part, we go to these conferences and we attend versions of training and we hear variations on the same thing, which is donors need to be thanked promptly and genuinely when they give, sharing stories about um, not only what you've made possible, but also a future need that a donor can really see themselves being part of the story to solve today. These are some very fundamental things that we're told kind of in different ways over and over that we need to do and we need to do better in order to not lose as many donors and find new ones. And yet our experience, both as donors and also as fundraising consultants and coaches who look at other people's fundraising for our business, we see this huge disconnect in the way that what appears in our mailboxes on the other end of our phone lines and on our computer screens just doesn't resonate with that intention around donor love the way I think people either think they're doing, but they just say, oh, I can't do it this way at my shop, so this is the best version of what I can do. Or there are other kind of structural things in place that are preventing 
great and passionate fundraisers from being able to tell their stories really well. And the end outcome is donors kind of feeling like, I guess I'll give to the food bank because it matters to me. I guess I'll give to the cat rescue because it's important to me, but they're kind of doing it in spite of what they're receiving from our organization, which tends to be, you know, a little uninspiring to say the least. So, so we spend a lot of our time thinking about this kind of in between space around here's the things we know we need to be doing. Here's what's actually going out to the people who are fueling change in our communities and on our planet. And why is there such a big gap there? Mm, Absolutely. So I guess what you're saying is it's almost like a little bit of a trick that fundraisers say to themselves to say that they're, they're, they're kind of, they are showing donor love because they, they, they're going through kind of old habits or, or bad habits, I guess, is the kind of the way of, of looking at it. Yeah, and I think, I mean, in the last little while, some of the work that I've been doing um, that I'm really excited about is around vulnerability and around the importance of adding vulnerability to our fundraising programs, but also as human beings to be able to recognize that, Mm. um, you know, we're in an emotional business and that some of the work that we do makes us vulnerable and that is challenging and difficult. And I think building on the work of Dr. Brene Brown from the U.S., I think as as fundraisers, we tell ourselves a lot of stories. <laughs> oh, we can't do that at my charity because of X, Y, and Z. Oh, I know the president would never approve any kind of materials that looked or sounded like this, so I'm not even going to bother trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Our database doesn't do that. <laughs> Our website's too old. You know, there, there are so many stories we tell ourselves about why we can't do effective, thoughtful, and passionate fundraising. And... You know, I think in some ways, John and I kind of, at times we feel like we're just dinging this bullshit bell all the time. Like, <laughs> that's not true. That's not true. That's not true. So, um, yeah, I, I think we do tell ourselves and we tell each other a lot of stories about why we can't do things a certain way or why that's too risky or, you know, why we can't do that right now. And I think unpacking that is something that we do as a part of our business mm. and we do with our clients. and sort of opening up this conversation around why are we doing things these ways and, and like where does that come from? I think to, to pick up a bit of what Jen's throwing down here is that that idea, like I, I've been talking to fundraiser colleagues and, and uh, agency friends and stuff, and I think sometimes the idea of the donor love is a bit easily dismissed. I think that some fundraisers sort of see it as like, oh, well, of course we say thanks to our donors. So we're doing donor love. Um, and we know, you know, when we talk about donor love, we're talking about a lot more than just make sure you say thanks, which they're barely doing as well. You know, like Jen and I was talking about, you know, how do you make your donor the hero of your piece? When you when you mail them, how do you let them swoop in and take action and make them feel really, really good about it? You know, or um, I, as a designer, I always look at the way organizations express themselves and, uh, often we see organizations, especially in the UK, I would say this is very true, is organizations seem to hide behind their own sort of branding and logo and their marketing because, like Jen was just sort of saying, that's safe, that's safe territory. Mm-hmm. It's hard to be a vulnerable, expressive human, be- humans because we know, we know that when we're vulnerable and expressive and we show emotion, we know we're being judged, usually negatively. And people are uncomfortable with that. They, they would rather say, well, our branding won't allow us to, to speak this in this emotional manner or use the word love in an appeal. And you have to ask yourself, what do you, you know, I know that seems really safe and comfortable and you're taught the world teaches you to be that way. Um, but we know when you actually are more vulnerable 
uh, in the way you have conversations with donors and whatever channel that may be, uh, the, the results are remarkable because donors just aren't used to it. They're not used to actually remembering they're actually having conversations with other humans because we've stopped being mm. human to them. And so it's, it's, a, it's a big problem. And definitely, like, you know, I, I just look at what I see in mailboxes. I, for all the chatter, for all the, my friends and colleagues who say they do this stuff every day, the proof is in the pudding. I have to say the pudding sucks. It really blows. Because, again, I look at mail from literally like all, all over the place, most mostly North America, but I see a lot of the UK and Australia as well and stuff. Again, people are talking a big game, but, but their actual out, end result is shit. It, it leaves a lot of room for improvement. So taking, taking that on kind of by the horns, assuming that, yes. that, that, that what you've just said is the same buzz that a fundraiser has from a conference of like, I'm going to go back to my office and I'm going to do this. What do you think are the steps that they're not taking that would actually get them to show a genuine donor love rather than just reverting back to what they were doing before, even if slightly tweaked? Well, yeah, so I would take that from two perspectives. I think the first perspective would be um, that there is a fundraising system, a fundraising framework that most organizations are still using, which is some version of Let's look at what we did last year. How did it do? How can we make it slightly, how can we make it a lot better this year and hopefully also make it a little cheaper? <laughs> and so, so we're, we're starting from a place of, I mean, that, that framework is, is highly problematic and is already kind of broke even in the way that you started. I'll give a perfect example. Lots of organizations do, especially in North America, but lots of organizations do, you know, the, the annual report. Yeah. The kind of, mm. and it has to take a couple of boxes, right? So the annual report has to report back on all the programs, acti- activities of your organization. It has to show uh, your financial, pick- a couple of other things. And in some cases, the type of quite a specific requirement. But we do a lot of work in this space, and we know that most people approach the annual report saying, okay, every program team, you owe me your 250-word blurb, by last Thursday because we're already behind <laughs> and here's a reminder of what you said last year make sure that it's different and unique mm. and then they do it and then they get it kind of designed and laid out by somebody and it goes into mailboxes and, it, and online and really when we take on and report projects we call them back to reports because we we break that system from the very beginning not every every program doesn't get a page in the annual report we don't need a complicated list of donors we don't need a logo pizza on page three that's got every corporation who sponsored us in the last year. Let's find one beautiful, compelling story and tell it in a way that no one is expecting and bring delight to our donors' day by saying, oh, giving that 25 bucks to the dog rescue was the best thing I did this week and I'm so happy I did it. Mm-hmm. So, so I think, going back to your question, I think structurally a lot of the work we do is based on a kind of a broken fundraising framework of doing mm. things kind of the same way we did last year, but a lot better and a little cheaper. Yeah. And the second half of that too, is that so many fundraisers <laughs> are not empowered to really have the voice that they need and deserve at the table. There's a, a executive or there's a leadership or there's a board of directors who say, I don't want you to do this. I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to do this. You just focus on this and stay in lane. Yeah. And fundraisers might come home from conferences saying, oh, I have all these ideas, 
and the CEO says, oh, wait, it involves face-to-face fundraising? Forget it. No, we're not doing that. I hate it. I got canvassed once at my doorstep, and now I'm never going to consider that as a viable fundraising strategy. Yeah. Go away and bring me something better. Mm. So, I think, so, I think, so I think there's two issues. I think there's a structural issue, and I think there's a leadership issue. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that definitely speaks to at least my experience, and I'm sure it does a lot of listeners. Yep. I've had a conversation in, in my career where I came back with loads of ideas and was literally told by the manager that having ideas wasn't in my job description. <laughs> so I was like, mm, oh, <laughs> And I quit. Yeah, more or less. Um, so that didn't last that long. Um, but I, I definitely agree that there's some kind of like top down issue there where like KPIs aren't necessarily set that well. Cause I've, I've also had like the reverse be true where, where I currently work, the new business fundraiser, uh, her KPIs have changed from financial to the number of meetings that she's having and the impact on her workload and her ability to, focus on what's actually important rather than just a quick win even in two months is is huge Mm. so i definitely think that broken system of let's cut 10 percent of your budget but add 10 percent to your income target is is a fairly universal one (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and i think they both in some ways they both kind of like both the structural issue and the leadership issue kind of like they're plants from the same soil which is kind of a scarcity mindset of Mm. We need to be able to, we need to be doing exactly this and we need to do it in a similar familiar way because this is like, I need our piece of the pie and I need it to be guaranteed that we're going to get at least the same amount of pie as we got last year, hopefully a little bit more. So, but it comes from this, and even in the leadership issue, it comes from a place of I'm afraid or I'm nervous or I'm scared about having this emotional conversation with donors. I don't want to open myself up to this. I don't want to sound like a fool i don't want to sound like i don't know what i'm doing i don't want to sound like i'm unprofessional so it is very easy for leadership within that scarcity mindset to say this is familiar and safe so let's just keep it up Mm. it's almost a lack of imagination for lack of a better word but because institutionally organizations are so risk averse they become risk they become so risk averse that you know your imagination becomes constrained and you stop you stop doing the things that people really want which is compelling stories and storytelling is like such a it's a hugely powerful thing and charities and nonprofits are set on a wealth of stories about really interesting things and about impact and yet they struggle to tell those stories uh, and that's which is which is crazy because that's all donors want right donors don't want to see like you say they don't want to see a list of logos or a yeah a, a, a financial breakdown those are box tick like box ticking exercises for you know government organizations. Donors don't care how much how much pence in the pound is is spent. Like they want to know impact. So like storytelling is a big thing. It's a big like missed opportunity, which is which is very strange. Well, and one of my huge pet peeves. I mean, since we're talking about fixing fundraising, one of my huge pet peeves is that I, I have people who will say to me, like way more often than anybody would want don't you think we're kind of post-storytelling and post-donor love? Oh, no. Like, aren't we kind of, right? Like, I go to these conferences, yeah. and it's just, like, it's all the storytelling and donor love. And my my gut reaction is that I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> what? But then my, sec- my second reaction is kind of like, 
do you really think that's true? Do you really think we're doing a good enough job telling stories and showing gratitude to the people who support us? Because if you do, I think we might be going working in different industries. <laughs> but also, like, if um, we if we are post storytelling and post donor love, I'd love to know what they think is next. <laughs> yeah. uh, AI and chatbots and mm. uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. Oh, Great. cryptocurrency. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, you know, I think in the, the context of like, storytelling, I think more importantly, what I think donors are really searching for is just really meaningful human connections. Mm. You know, we, we as humans, we all seek them out in our real life. And I, I always say to fundraisers and friends, like, just let's not forget for, a, for one second that even in your real life, you understand how this all works. We understand that, you know, our friends and family need things from us. And they need we need to be having real human conversations. We need to have a bit of share our values as humans with one another so we have deeper connections. We talk emotionally about the things that happen in our lives and why sometimes we need help from this person. Or, you know, we say thanks when they've done something for us. But we can't seem to translate that human experience, which we have outside of our office, inside our office. And again, to me, it's that goes beyond, I think, telling good stories. Good stories are only a small part of the work that we have to do and you're right. They're everywhere around us and we're really shitty at finding right wants to share with mm. our donors. But I think, you know, our, our pal Frank, he worked at UNICEF in Italy, he found out that as long as he sent a, you know, a thank you card within 48 hours of gifts that said amazing thank you and called the donors to say thanks once a year or happy birthday, even those two things alone showed a dramatic effect on the overall program. He didn't have to do anything else. I mean, sure, they yeah. told great stories, but they didn't have to really get wrapped up in the technology or making sure they had every razzle as a story they possibly could every time they did an appeal. So, again, that says to me, and again, I just talked to, to donors that I can talk to, and the things they're looking for are just really human, normal interactions. Yeah. And they just, they, just don't, they just don't have it. Sorry, sorry. We, we, we just overcomplicate it. That seems to be the overcomplicate. Yeah, and I, I think actually you, you just touched on one of the one of the best examples of donor love that I have tried to adopt of like just knowing when their birthday is and just saying happy birthday and not asking for anything at that point because it's a really organic point to not ask for anything but be in touch. Mm. And it because yeah. I've I've had that happen to me as a donor. I've had someone send me a happy birthday message. And it has massively increased how likely I am to give to that organization again because I know that they care about me as a person as well as a donor. And like, there's a bit of it that's obviously like a shrewd stewardship move, but it doesn't feel like it. It feels very genuine. Mm. And I think that's that's a, a pretty good example of quite an easy change to make, even if your managers don't want a more emotional storytelling. Just that emotional connection with individuals to add that in is quite easy to do. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember we talked, we talked to a colleague um, a number of years ago, and they said the only one thing they didn't actually have to get approval on was like the thank you letters. And so she would just do an amazing job writing these beautiful thank you letters because she was told no one had to approve it. She could just do whatever she wanted to and uh, versus everything else in the program. But I think, again, those really simple things where you can actually just sound really human, um, yeah, absolutely can have a, a monumental effect on the program. And I think it, all, it comes down to something that we say all the time, which is, you know, when you're actually thanking someone, when you're saying thanking someone for, for, for giving or for being a part of their family and the community or for 
taking the action, signing a petition, whatever, all any of us want as, as people is to feel heard, is to feel like I see you, I value you, and you matter, and I hear you. That's all we want. And charities, we, we kind of tell ourselves these stories about like, oh, I need to get my tax receipt out in 48 hours, even if it's garbage, because that's <laughs> yeah. like, it's, it's the timing or the transaction that matters as opposed to, I'd rather you take a week and send me something or, or give me an experience that's really memorable and moving as opposed to it being fast. Mm. And so we, we, we have this sort of false narrative around a lot of these things about, you know, like we replace, as John said a little bit earlier, we replace some of the stuff that is saying to someone, I see you, you I see you, I value you, and you matter. We're like replacing it with busy stuff, which is like, well, get it out quickly. I'll make sure that all my reports are all up to date. I'll make sure that I, you know, like, we're focusing. I, the example that I give all the time is that, you know, when you make a donation to a charity that's unsolicited, it's actually a fascinating experiment. My husband and I totally unintentionally, in the last couple of years, I mean, we intentionally involved our children in our charitable decision making. So every month we sit down as a family and we talk about the things that have happened and what happened at school, what happened in your sporting events, what's happening in our communities, what's happening in our world, and we choose a charity to support and we make a donation unsolicited, spontaneously. Hmm online and I can tell you that 99% of the time I get absolutely nothing meaningful in return mm. and I and I see myself like when it first started happening I was like this is really weird what's going on here and I realized that what's happening is that most charities if they get a spontaneous donation online and it's not tons of money it's anywhere between a hundred bucks and a couple of hundred bucks but if it comes in the first question that the fundraiser is trained to ask is how do I record this in the database? Yeah. As opposed to <laughs> why the hell did this random 40 year old woman wake up this morning and decide she wanted to make a donation to save a tiger? <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah. And, and I, I always send a little email or put a note in the comments box saying, this is what we're doing. This is my family. This is why we've chosen you. We hope the gift is helpful. Would love to hear more. And I, and even though I do that, I still get virtually nothing back for organizations and I said to myself like if you know we give to animal charities if they sent my daughter a coloring book or some stickers she would be over the moon over the moon like it would change her whole old world view and yet as fundraisers are the question we ask is how do I record this in the database and yeah what are the steps that need to take to make sure that this, that this transaction gets completed as mm. opposed to picking up the phone and saying can you tell me why you woke up this morning and did this I bet you that's a really neat story and I've got all the time in the world to hear it yeah, there's actually, that reminds me of, do you know who um, Robin Peake is on Twitter? Yes. He's fantastic, and he recorded, he decided that he was going to make, I think it was like five or six donations in a day, and he decided to make them over the phone so that he could have a conversation with them about why he was donating, basically in, in the exact way that, that you're describing of, of that comment box, but having it over the phone. And he was like appalled by what he found and there was one particular one that I remember him talking about which was um, the girl on the phone basically taking his bank account details to make the donation and then asking for his postal address so that they could arrange a thank you and he was like I'm on the phone don't me now like what <laughs> Let's schedule um, it a thank you. When are yeah. you free? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm free. So, yeah, I think that's, that I is. Friend, I, don't know, I don't know if you guys have ever been 
into a conference with Simon Scriver. From yeah. Simon will do live phone calls. Pass the way to I've not been in that. That is ever. incredible. Oh, they are, they're off the hook. And it, like, it's phenomenal to see because at, like a room full of fundraisers, everybody is cringing. Everybody's like, oh my God, this would totally happen if you called my charity right now. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, like, it is, it, it, it's one of those experiences that you should go through mystery shopping or even just the unintended experiment of my family was not supposed to be something that sure. I was going to learn from, but I learned a ton and it, it is, it's shocking when you actually go ahead and do it. I mean, that isn't that part of the problem though we have here because that the sector has become so process oriented. Mm. It's yeah. like a, a constant exercise in checking boxes rather than actually actively listening to humans. Yeah. Um, I, again, you see so many instances of that. This is simple stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's simple to hide behind you know checkbox and stuff. And Jen and I even talk as a as a agency, you know, working with our clients who are constantly trying to if they're clients are listening. I'm sorry, I'm going to say, but constantly trying to get us to fit into their process. Yeah. And you know, we try to remind them that there 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 can be a certain level of checkbox that goes on here. But let's talk about what's happening over there right now. Let's talk about what, what you actually need as an organization. Let's talk about why your donor should care about that at this moment in their life. Not, oh, well, the calendar says we have to do the year appeal, so let's get to work and do the year appeal, guys, go. Yeah. You know? And it's and we're always fighting against that. And I, I as a creative, I feel that that pull constantly because it, it's I feel like I'm, I'm being told them the way I'm doing my work is wrong, yeah. that I should yeah. be thinking about these things and then I'm not I'm not looking to their schedule and that makes us bad people. You know, like it's it's a really frustrating sort of thing. But we see that everywhere and again even smallest of smallest of ways. But I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if it's just there's there's safety in the process. You can't argue with process because it it's almost data. It is what it is. Whereas what we're asking for people to do is think about their work emotionally and intelligently. Um, and there's not safety in there. There's too many question marks in there. There's too much work in there. I don't know. So we've arrived at the second half. It's part two. Um, and it's question time. Who's excited for question time? Uh, <laughs> I was going to do another jingle, but then I got stage You're right. so good at the jingles. You're very good at the jingles. Uh, don't give up the day job, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> so, guys, John and, and Jen, uh, over the last couple of years... Do you have, have you started a new um, habit or behavior that you would recommend and share with other people? Uh, I'll who's start. Who's going to go first? Uh, so, so a huge part of, a, a big uh, uh, part of my life in the last couple of years has been really an intentional focus on mindfulness. Um, mm -hmm. I try to meditate every day. Um, and as a part of that, uh, practicing gratitude is kind of a part of that practice. So mm. I would say that, um, that's a habit that I, at this point in my life, think would be hard to even move away from. It's it's become a huge part of my life. Amazing. Um, I know mine has been um, has been yoga. Actually, um, I wish I discovered yoga about twenty years ago um, because of some uh, injuries I had. I really couldn't work out the way I used to work out, and so I just did yoga because it was all I could actually do. But I was blown. I mean, Jen always was trying to push me towards doing yoga <laughs> because she, I think, she knew what it would do for me. But I was um, blown away to the um, how much it helped me in my own presenting, like being present in a moment and being aware of that of being present and stuff. Also, my 
day-to-day mental health and just the constant checking in with myself. Mm. Um, even just my own like, feeling about my own self-worth as a human, I think, has made me really appreciate the things that I can do rather than focusing always on the things that I can't. Uh, so that's been my massive, massive thing. Awesome. That's really great. Thank you, guys. So obviously, as, as clued in, plugged in professionals, as you guys have said already, are there particular books, uh, podcasts, or blogs that you'd recommend people check out? Um, yeah, I was going to give a little shout out to, uh, to our own. Um, it sort of shows the sort of work in our thinking um, that we utilize every single day in our, in our work. And uh, two, two places you can check out is agentsofgood.org. Uh, org or um, aogcreatives.com uh, are two places where we have a lot of our creative work as well and stuff. But um, that's that's our our stuff. But I always say read anything by um, you know Tom or her and make sure you check out uh, Sophie S O F I I dot org showcase of fundraising inspiration innovation dot org uh, which is Ken Burnett's little baby uh, but it's a beautiful beautiful site to go and get inspired by tons of amazing work not only ours but many others nice jen yeah so i would have i'm gonna go uh team podcast even though um the podcast that we're on is lovely uh but i would say there's, <laughs> there's two there's two other ones that i listen to one is simon scribers um yeah. amazingly oh, so fundraising superstar. yeah i mean it's good that his long format stuff is great and then the kind of uh shorter format stuff that he does as well is fantastic um and i think it's just really approachable and human and mm. But also covers a wide, wide range of topics. Um, and here in Canada, we have another one, um, the Small Nonprofit Podcast, which is hosted by the Good Partnership um, in conjunction with Charity Village and uh, by a good friend of ours named Cindy Wagman. And it, uh, it's a very, also a very thoughtful, robust podcast and really dedicated to smaller organizations um, who are carving out the time to kind of like, okay, I want to do this better. Where should I go? And I think the Small Nonprofit Podcast is a great resource for that. Well, that's awesome. I've not heard of that one before, so I'll definitely, definitely check that out. I'd love hearing about a new one. Nice. Bonus <laughs> adorable Canadian accents. Yes. The dream. Can't get enough of them. <laughs> <laughs> right. If you were following around with a sign above your head, what would it say and why? There has to be a why. I think it would say feel your feelings um, because yes. I think there is a big part of what I do uh, in the work that we do with charities is try to get everybody to open up their emotional Pandora's box and think about and talk about some of the things that are hard to talk about or make them feel vulnerable, make them feel scared. Mm. Um, and I think I also am constantly reminding myself to be saying, what am I feeling about this? How do, is this working for me? Is, is this a helpful, happy relationship with this organization? Are we just doing things right? So I think, Feel your feelings is my kind of guiding principle, and I think I like to think, and I'm proud of the fact that I think people look to me for that kind of emotional touchstone, and, and I'm I'm happy to be the one waving the feelings flag. It's necessary. Nice. How about you, Jump? Um, I would say uh, ISO in search of uh, nerds. <laughs> Please explain. Um, I I gravitate in my life. I gravitate towards towards nerds. I don't care if it's, there's a guy in my market that makes bread and he will talk to me all day long about how he fucked up the last batch of bread because he was trying to do something a bit different and up this. And I don't understand half of what he's saying, but you can't 
you can't take away from his passion for his mm. craft. And I think of myself as a massive nerd in my own work. I've, I've spent, you know, well over 20 years focusing and nerding out about this craft I call direct response. And uh, I love nerds are passionate. And they're mm. passionate about something. I don't really care what they're passionate about, but you can't mistake their passion for something. And I'm always suspect that people don't seem to be nerdy or passionate about things. So I'm always in search of other nerds because they're great people to talk to. And I, I can see why you get on with, with the bread guy so well, because fundamentally you're both raising dough. Sorry, I couldn't <laughs> I thought a bit I had to say it. <laughs> oh, Sorry. Oh, Andy is a nerd for really bad jokes. So. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's it's how we gravitate towards each other. <laughs> it's quite pun itching by the end. <laughs> right, we'll stop. I love. I like this idea of rebranding nerds as as passionate people. Like it's obvious when you say it out loud, but like it's a, it's so true. It's so true. Um, and our sector is full of nerds, and they're great. <laughs> yeah, they are amazing. We love them. Nice, love it. What's your biggest failure in life, and what did you learn from it? Let's start with Jen. So um, I held on to a toxic client for too long. Um, I knew people at the organization and I thought that we could do great work and we can make it better and we can turn it around uh, and maybe around the corner this is going to get better. Hmm. Um, but it didn't and it felt really good to finally be able to say, I'm blessing and releasing this. Um, hmm. We're not serving you and you're not serving us. Um, and I, holding on to that, that toxic relationship uh, longer than I should have was a mistake. And I learned how good it feels to be able to really live that value and say, Nope, this isn't working for me. And whatever it costs, we'll figure out. Um, that was a really important lesson to make. Amazing. That's a good one. Uh, mine is, um, I actually uh, failed horribly out of uh, university. I went to my first university and uh, I partied a little bit too hard, but um <laughs> Uh, I, I got kicked out, which was probably the best thing that could have ever happened to me because it, it certainly sent me on the, the pathway to where I am now. But what it actually taught me was that I was never going to fit into the institutional system. And it really reminded me that the fact that I, I wasn't going to fit in and I had to learn to be okay with that. It was mm. part, just again, part of accepting who I was. And the world is institutionalized. We're always trying to institutionalize kids, people, even our own sector, as we know very well, is trying to institutionalize it as well. And um, we need people who will, um, who just won't fit into that because I always think, you know, I look at my own children and I try to remind them that you don't always have to fall in line because you need people who are going to challenge the system. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that was, uh, looking back, I can look and go, that's probably the best thing I ever happened to is getting kicked out of university. Nice. Nice. Top tip, get kicked out of university. <laughs> anyone anyone <laughs> listening? <laughs> Don't conform! Don't conform. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, obviously, everyone has stressful days, tough times, difficult weeks. What are your guys' top tips for bouncing back and keeping on going? Um, for me, um, I... I I like being creative in lots of different ways, aside from just doing graphic design stuff. And I also love to uh, cook and uh, drink wine. And I find those two things together um, <laughs> on the right evening uh, can actually make me uh, very relaxed, feel like I'm expressing myself creatively. And uh, uh, I love it. I, 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 again, cooking, I wish I learned. I wish I learned a little more formally than I actually have, but I love being able to make a great meal and 
share with my family and just take comfort in food. Not that I'm a, no, I'm, I'll, you know, that's also that. Jen? So I am completely obsessed with dogs. I have a dog. He's a four-year-old rescue named Agent Tux. Um, oh, and I, I also, uh, <laughs> I also have um, started co-founded along with my friend Clay Buck from Las Vegas. There's a Twitter account called at Fundraising Dogs, um, and so nice. when I so I pick my dog for long walks and I snuggle him um, and I look at fundraising dogs. Solid. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that that uh, fundraising dogs was you. I'm a big fan. Nice, ah! nice. Fundraising dogs and fundraising memes are my two favorite Twitter accounts at the moment. <laughs> um, Amazing. I uh, might set up a new Twitter account and just follow those two, so I can just get rid just of all the those, shit. Yeah. <laughs> all the terrible politicians I follow, I'll just follow these two accounts. Oh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm looking at the dogs. I need to stop recording. <laughs> and last but certainly not least, what is your favorite joke, Jen? My favorite joke uh, is from the Brooklyn Nine-Nine series, nice. the title of your sex tape. Um, I get a lot of laughs out of um, finding situations when someone says something that is awkward and ridiculous <laughs> and can be turned into title of your sex tape. Um, and it's also kind of an improvement over that's what she said, which used to be my favorite, but then mm. it was always, there was that kind of gendered thing to it, which mm. I didn't like. Um, so title of your sex tape is my favorite ongoing joke. Nice, 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 nice. Love it. Mine is one that I actually just recently uh, heard from my uh, daughter, which I absolutely adore, and it tickles my funny bone. Uh, it is, uh, if, if a bird that flies over the sea is called a seagull, then a bird that flies over a bay is called a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Good. Oh, my God. John. Right? Such a dad joke. Such oh, I love it. Joke. And it went straight into number one. That's your mm, favorite joke. Nice. <laughs> That's what so I love. Oh, so good. So, so good. <laughs> I'm hungry for bagels now. <laughs> <laughs> Have I told you my new favorite joke? No. I recently discovered a, a new one. Let's hear it. Uh, yeah. Is, um, what do we want? Low flying plane noises. When do we want them? Meow. <laughs> I feel like it's a similar level. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you could have done like Formula One. Yeah. Well. Oh my god, that's so much variety. You can anything that sounds like yeah. What do we want? Roadrunner. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah, he does. Right. Wow. Love it. You did oh, say the best to last. That was good. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I think that's a really interesting episode that has challenged a lot of my own thoughts about the way that I operate. I've definitely said a lot of those excuses before mm. and I'm sure it'll be really useful for our listeners as well. If they want to find more of you somewhere, where's the best place to look? Uh, definitely for, for me, the best place is on Twitter. Uh, you can find me at John Lett. Uh, I'm always happy to have old school conversations just like we used to back in 2009. Uh, so yeah, reach out to me anytime there. <laughs> and I uh, tweet slightly less and often about dogs and fundraising dogs, um, but my actual Twitter account is at agentgenlove, um, and at agentsofgood.org we do have a blog which has gets updated kind of in fits and starts, 
Um, but send us an email or give us a call. All of our information is on our website at aimsgood.org. And we love talking to passionate people who want to do things better and differently. So thank you so much for having us. It's been awesome to connect with you guys and uh, hope to hear from some of your listeners too. That's amazing. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thanks, guys. Bye.